Hi, uh, guys. Good to have you with uh, with me here today. And uh, with me, I've got Mark Wessner from the uh, MB Seminary out in Langley and Matt Dick, lead pastor of SunWest Church. And uh, hey, I'm pretty excited about a, a new venture that is happening here between ABMB, uh, the seminary, and of course, the local church. And that is this uh, concept of uh, a teaching church. So uh, Matt, I would like to hear from you a little bit about, uh, you know, why why this idea of being becoming a teaching church? Yeah, I think for for years I've heard church leaders and myself included wondering is uh, if the the methods and models that we're using are the most conducive to actually making disciples. Uh, we we know that our main mandate is to make disciples and to equip people for ministry. Um, and our models have been very centralized in gathering people uh, in one location. And I think what COVID showed us uh, when that model was no longer available to us is what did we have left? And a lot of churches, including SunWest, struggled to say, okay, how do we spend our energy and our time now? And we realized that uh, we didn't really know how to make disciples as effectively as we probably should. Uh, and so probably what I'm most excited about is uh, decentralizing uh, you know, disciple making, uh, unprofessionalizing it and, and helping everybody uh, and anyone who wants to learn and grow as a leader, as a uh, disciple, uh, give them the opportunity to do that. That's great. Mark, you've been at this now uh, from the seminary for uh, a year. Tell us a little bit more about uh, how it's been going and how it works. Yeah, that, Matt's heart is our heart too, right? The, the discipling and equipping of everybody in the church and how do we make that accessible? And so uh, we've launched something called Teaching Churches Initiative, which is a way that we come alongside a local church uh, in your context and do the educating and equipping in a way that's actually relevant for you and your ministry. That's the whole point of it. It's not uh, come to the seminary. It's actually, we're going to come to you. And so it's built around the idea of a teaching weekend. So a Friday and a Saturday where we'll have faculty come and do the content of, of the course. Um, and it's open to anybody. So you don't have to be a graduate student. Anybody can participate for a weekend of teaching uh, on, on whatever the topic is given that, that weekend. And those who want to do it for graduate study can also then register for that. And then they do courses uh, that wrap around that. So the assignments, the mentoring, small group assignments, and then each course is actually a full three credit course. And if you afford them, we'll, we'll actually give a certificate uh, for that as well. And, you know, and eventually you can work your way to other, other things as well. Um, but we love coming alongside the church in that context to offer that kind of training and equipping, because then it can be contextualized much easier. Yeah. I love this idea of this kind of partnership. And obviously uh, it's not just only going to be for Sun West people, um, but we're inviting other churches to participate as well. Isn't that right, uh, Matt? And what are we going to start with? What's the first course? I think it's going to be October 21, 22, uh, yeah. this fall. So what's the first course? Yeah, I know uh, Mark and the team had a bunch of great options. Uh, and as we talked about the few options we could do, the one that really jumped out, I think, to all of us was interpreting scripture. Uh, interpreting scripture today is what, it, what it's called. And uh, when I think back on this last a couple of years, uh, you know, there's lots of different opinions from uh, different Christians on a whole manner of things. And I've recognized that a bunch of the, the root cause of different perspectives is that we actually don't interpret and approach scripture and God's word the, the same way. Uh, and so I'm excited about what that might mean uh, for us as a group and a community of churches to actually look at that together. Matt, uh, sorry, Mark, any last words from you? Uh, uh, as to what we can look forward to? 
Yeah, well, from doing some of these now and actually teaching one of the courses myself, it's a lot of fun uh, to have people together in that in that weekend experience, engaging scripture uh, and then applying it in their own life and ministry context and, and seeing other churches partner together at the same event. It's just a really powerful, meaningful uh, experience. And so uh, so I'm looking forward to working, uh, coming to Alberta and working with the conference and churches. Uh, it should be a really good time. That's great. Well, we'll be uh, looking forward to it as well. Registration should be coming out or the information should be coming out on how to register uh, in the next uh, couple of months or so. Remember again, October 21-22 at SunWest Church in Calgary. Thanks very much, you guys. Good morning. Uh, that's a pretty neat opportunity that we, we have. Hey, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, I'm uh, my uh, my master's studies I did at MB Seminary, uh, and so I'm excited to have some of those folks that I was able to study with and spend time with come spend time with us. Uh, and so we're really looking forward to uh, that uh, that launching up. And I I just want to make a couple of comments when my uh, we got the slides running here. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah. So with just to bring a bit of clarity, uh, if you don't have any interest in doing graduate studies, that's totally fine. Uh, you can audit this course, and uh, if you are an undergraduate, so I know many students at SunWest are going to, uh, you know, Ambrose or other places, uh, we are currently working with the NB Seminary uh, to find an option that, th- that you could take this course uh, for credit in your undergraduate studies. Uh, so that hasn't been solidified yet, but that's something that we're working towards. We hopefully will be able to have that up and running. Uh, if you want to take graduate level, that is available uh, to you as well. And, uh, and those courses, as you mentioned, there'll be, a, there'll be work before the weekend, there'll be work after the weekend, but uh, it'll be eight to ten weeks from start to finish, uh, and you can uh, do that course. And so they do these certificates, uh, which, make it, which are made up of four courses, and they're working on having four of those certificates uh, put together uh, and really interested in working with us on what those could look like. So we're excited about this, and we really hope that uh, Sunwesters will, will engage on these weekends, October 21, 22. You can put that on your calendar. Uh, at the very least, you can come and audit it, and uh, it'll be a great time together and learning, and learning together along with other churches in Alberta uh, that will come to SunWest for those weekends. Uh, and so we're excited about that. Uh, you might be wondering about costs. Really just quick, if you want to audit, uh, 100 bucks graduate certificate level, you can see the price there, which is actually a few hundred dollars cheaper uh, than uh, most seminaries. Uh, and, and then you, if you want a certificate from uh, the MB Seminary. MB stands for Mennonite Brethren, by the way. I think we just kept saying MB, MB. Uh, Mennonite Brethren Conference, the denomination, that's the, the family we're a part of. Uh, but you can get the certificate uh, for 300 bucks a course. Uh, so very cool. We'll have more info about that as we go. Uh, and then the next thing I want to highlight as we go, as we go forward, Trent mentioned uh, uh, the sabbatical that I have coming up. And so thank you to our leadership team uh, and to our church. It's great to be a part of uh, such an encouraging, supportive church. Uh, and I've been at SunWest for 17 years, and I'm excited to stay at SunWest uh, for as long as God calls me here. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to this season uh, and, and for the Lord to uh, refresh me, renew vision, and, uh, and to come back and fall 
uh, ready for the next season that we have. Uh, but in the immediate future, you might be wondering, well, what's going to happen on Sunday mornings? Well, we have uh, our staff who are more than capable. Uh, they'll be stepping in and speaking. But we also have a lot of guest speakers uh, that we've lined up. And so I'm just going to give you a little quick highlight where we're coming. Uh, Willie Reimer, who was the founding pastor at uh, Four Sun West Church, uh, over 25 years ago, uh, is going to be coming back. He's now a pastor at Willingdon Church in Burnaby. And so he's going to come spend two weekends with us, uh, and he'll be the first guest that we have. So we're excited to have Willie come back. Uh, Lloyd and Carol Leckerman, who work with Multiply, which is our missions uh, arm at SunWest in our denomination. Uh, they're regional mobilizers, regional mobilizers in Canada. Uh, and so they are going to be uh, coming and sharing with us. We're looking forward to that. Uh, combined with SOAR Alberta, which is a local mission uh, trip that we are doing at the beginning of July. And so that's a youth and young adults uh, mission trip in Calgary. And, and Multiply, Lloyd and Carol are going to be leading that along with their team. And so they're going to come speak on one weekend. The next weekend, we have Stampede breakfast where the, uh, where the SOAR team is going to be helping us serve. Uh, we're going to have an evening service that night uh, that we invite Sunwesters to come to be a part of. Uh, anyways, it'll be a great couple of weekends there. Uh, we got Kelvin Block. You guys might recognize this guy. Uh, you don't normally see him with the tie, and so maybe that looks a little bit more f- too formal. Uh, so let's go with this, this option. Um, and uh, he, he's part of the hood, the fatherhood is what his t-shirt says. Um, but we're excited to have Kel uh, share with us this uh, summer, and he's going to be joining us in addressing uh, some of the unique challenges of mental health in our, in our time. Uh, we know that that's been a major uh, point of, of concern and rising. Uh, it's been rising uh, in our, uh, during COVID uh, in our city and in our country. Uh, we got Brad Hubert coming for a couple of weekends. Uh, Brad is a pastor and author uh, here in Calgary, and he's been with SunWest a couple of times in the past, and it's always great to have uh, Brad, he's inspiring uh, and very encouraging, and I know you'll be blessed uh, when he comes. Uh, we have James Penner, and, uh, and his ability uh, to teach is better than his ability to take selfies. Uh, so that's, a, that's the best picture I could find. Uh, but he's an adjunct professor at University of Lethbridge. Uh, he's a sociologist. He's most well-known uh, for his work uh, with the church in doing research, um, probably most well-known for his research with young adults and youth. Uh, and the disengagement in our, in our era of uh, young people walking away from church and helping understand that. And so we're excited to have James uh, join us uh, for two weekends as well. So uh, I'm jealous. You guys are going to have a, a great time. It's going to be a great uh, few months together. We don't have a lot of time this morning, but I want to borrow uh, from our Catholic brothers and sisters who, uh, they often do something called homilies. And so this isn't a sermon. It's more, it's more like a homily. Uh, and so a, kind of a short devotional thought uh, before, we, before we close in worship uh, together this morning. And uh, last weekend, our Easter weekend, we, we spent time together in uh, John 20 uh, was the text that we focused on uh, looking at the resurrection of Christ. And uh, we didn't quite get to the end of the chapter. And so I'm going to read the, the rest of the chapter that we didn't get to and then provide uh, a couple of thoughts on it. Uh, and so Jesus appears to Mary, which we talked about at, on Easter, and he appears to the disciples, and he's beginning this new creation. He's speaking identity into them. He, uh, the text says that he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. He breathes new life into them, new mission into them. He gives them identity. He gives them purpose. Um, and there was a... Uh, when, when Jesus goes to meet with the disciples after his resurrection, uh, there was one individual that was missing. 
and his name is Thomas. And so this is the kind of the next character in the resurrection story. And so I want to pick it up with, uh, with Thomas. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now we're going to come back to this text. Um, Before we did the last series, we just finished uh, the the Shalom Project. We We did a Sunday uh, a vision Sunday, and I just want to revisit that Sunday. Uh, and that, what I talked about in that Sunday came out of my own devotional time, as I as I was just reading the Gospels and the story of Acts, and I um, and I started just to recognize a pattern uh, for ministry that I hadn't noticed before. Uh, and uh, in Gospels, in the Book of Acts, the same type of uh, three events in this pattern would happen over and over and over again. And and once. I was able to see it. I couldn't unsee it. Uh, and then, so that p- pattern was synagogue encounter and obedience. Uh, and so often when Jesus was going into a town, into a, uh, he would stop in the synagogue. And the synagogue uh, was basically uh, churches uh, before the Christian church came to be. The synagogue were Jewish churches, you could call them, because uh, the temple was central in Jerusalem, but the Jews were scattered all over. And so they had to have uh, micro-communities. It wasn't realistic for them to keep going to the temple, right? And so they, they created these uh, communities wherever they might be and where they would gather weekly, regularly, like we do uh, at church. So this was uh, where the church model kind of came out of originally was the practice of synagogue that the, the Jews had. Uh, and so when Jesus was going to a new region, uh, he would stop at the church. He would stop at the community, stop at the gathering. This was the place where the people would come together to learn, to look at the scriptures together, and to be reminded of God's story and what he had done and what he was doing, who they were, whose they were, and what God wanted to continue to do in them and through them. Uh, And so this happened at their larger gatherings uh, called synagogues. So Jesus would go to the synagogue, uh, and and so he would teach there, he would uh, participate in the synagogue practice, uh, people would be reminded of God's grand story and where they fit into it, uh, and this was often the place where Jesus would begin ministry in an area. If you go to the book of Acts, you'll notice the same pattern that the disciples, as they're doing their missionary journeys, actually started by going to the synagogues first, participating in the community, being part of the people, being part of what God was doing geographically, holistically among God's people. And then often uh, after that, as they stayed in those places, in those communities, uh, there would be an encounter, and experience. Um, and for many, for, 
I don't quite understand the pushback, but there's been a pushback, I think, in the last hundred years against encounter and experiences if it's a bad thing. But if you look in scriptures, you'll see people had experiences with God, miraculous experiences with God, relational encounters with God over and over again. And so often in a, where Jesus was, where the disciples was, there would be a synagogue gathering and engagement, and then there would be an encounter with the living God. Uh, and I don't think we need to be afraid of experiences and encounters. I think when we seek experiences, and that's the only thing we're seeking, then that can be, that can be dangerous. Uh, but we see this holistic approach of synagogue, encounter, and obedience. And when these three come together, it can actually be quite a beautiful thing. James Penner, who is going, again, is going to be coming to visit us, uh, did, a, did a massive study called Hemorrhaging Faith, Faith quite a long time ago, looking at why young people were leaving the church en masse. And he noticed that some young people stayed very engaged in synagogue, in a community, and participated throughout uh, their adulthood and their young adulthood. And he was looking at the, what were the things that existed in each of their stories. Uh, and uh, he came up with five main ones. Parents, who actually modeled following Jesus, uh, an experience of God community, uh, and then I don't have the other two in front of me, but uh, so parents who modeled faith was a big one, and so I'm just going to set that aside for a second, Uh, but them being in community, and he said on average, it actually takes someone, five influential people that are following Jesus uh, to come to faith and remain in faith. Five people involved in their lives. Five people that are regularly inputting, that have relational rapport with an individual. And so community is important. Synagogue is important. Um, Not showing up and attending and listening to somebody talk, but actually engaging in personal relationship in a faith community. That was uh, one of uh, the number one thing, uh, other than parents. Parents, community. And then third was an experience of God. Um, even as we listened to a testimony this morning, you heard Stacy refer to her experiences, her encounter with God, uh, how God came, moved from an idea to actually um, something personal. And so every young person, typically, James, through a study, found that they had an experience, some profound experience with God, whether through a mission trip, whether through something supernatural happening to them or through them or around them. But there was some kind of encounter experience with God uh, that stabilized, that actually helped them remain in community and in the faith. And the the third thing that we see uh, in the pattern, obedience. So synagogue, encounter, obedience. Um, Obedience has, in some ways, become optional. Um, We don't have time to jump into why that is. Uh, but we, we, we often talk about faith without works, grace. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn right relationship with God it's because of what Jesus has done for us, which is absolutely true. Uh, but intuitively, we, have, we had started to teach that and believe that, uh, sometimes at the expense of recognizing that God gives us grace in order to follow him. That the Bible doesn't separate obedience and grace. Uh, and often when somebody encounters Jesus in Scripture, he invites them to a new kind of living. He invites them to a new level of obedience, to live in a new kind of way. And so uh, 
Encounter is important. Yes, experiences are important. Yes, being in community is important. Yes, but also following Jesus in the way that we live, the decisions we make, the values that we have is so important. In fact, greater understanding comes through obedience. In John 7, 17, Jesus says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will, not find, will, will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So us doing the will of God actually enables us to understand God. And we think understanding often precedes obedience, but Jesus teaches us the opposite. The biblical writers teach us the opposite, that obedience actually helps us understand. Obedience actually leads a way to revelation and understanding. So with that as a backdrop, I want to go back to our John 20 text. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Uh, and so Didymus actually means the twin. And so we don't know if Thomas had an actual twin or this was just his nickname, the twin. Uh, I don't know if, uh, if you know identical twins. I always have a really hard time as a pastor with identical twins. Uh, you know, you're trying to, you have a hard enough time keeping names straight, and then you get two people that look the same, and then you go through COVID, and those two people that look the same wear a mask. Very, very difficult. I remember being in Bible college, and there was two identical twins uh, that I lived with for a couple of years, and I could never tell them apart. And their names were Brent and Brad. Brent and Brad. They looked the exact same. Uh, and I think I even played on a sports team with one of them. I still don't know which one. Uh, and, and so what I realized over time is, is when I passed them, I would just say, hey, Brett. Hey, Brett. I, just, I wouldn't finish the word, and I... I don't know if they caught on to this, but I, I, I just stopped trying. Uh, Brett and mumbled, and I just assumed they knew, they, they thought I knew who they were. Um, uh, but I have a hard time keeping twins apart. And I don't know if Didymus was a nickname, if Thomas actually had a twin. Uh, but we see that Thomas almost, I think he gets a bad rep. We often refer to him as doubting Thomas. And perhaps Thomas was a flip-flopper. Perhaps he didn't know if he was all in or all out. Uh, maybe his doubts kind of gave him uh, a reputation that, you know, which Thomas are we getting today? Are we getting the Thomas who's committed, the Thomas who's not committed? Uh, and so it could have been a nickname that just referred to maybe his dual nature. Uh, he likely was a twin, but, but I think it's interesting, uh, this idea of almost having two personalities, the, the personality that wants to follow Jesus and the personality that has doubts. And I think that's part of the reason I love Thomas is because I can relate to Thomas. That often I feel like there's two mats. Like there's Brett and there's Brett. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's this mat and there's that mat. There's the mat that wants to trust Jesus, wants to follow him, and then there's a mat that struggles and the mat that has doubts. And, and so Thomas is like us, and that's, uh, that's what I love. There's the resurrection account. You have the Mary account. Uh, and then you move to Thomas, who is very human, who is very relatable. Uh, and so Jesus came. Uh, the other disciples told uh, him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. What is Thomas saying here? Thomas is saying, I want to experience Jesus for myself. I am not okay with secondhand faith. I love it that you guys had this experience with Jesus, but I want my own experience with Jesus. 
And it says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And what's interesting is if we go back to Thomas's response, right? It says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus doesn't show up immediately. Uh, He shows up seven or eight days later. And when Jesus shows up, he says, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side. It's like Jesus knew what Thomas wanted. Jesus actually wanted to meet Thomas where he was at in all of his doubts and all of his questions. Jesus wanted to give Thomas a personal encounter and experience. He shows up and he says, peace be with you. He says the same thing he said to the disciples earlier that we talked about last weekend. Shalom be with you. Shalom be with you. And Jesus understood that for Thomas to experience shalom, to die fully into right relationship with God, to understand his identity, to live out his identity in community, to understand his place in the world, his purpose in the world, Thomas did need a personal encounter and experience with Jesus. And so a week later, Jesus shows up and He doesn't show up immediately. And we can just read these parts of the text and be like, oh, a week later. Uh, A week later of listening to all of your friends talk about how amazing it was to see the resurrected Jesus is a long time. Can you imagine? All your friends are just buzzing. You know, we saw the resurrected Jesus. He was crucified. He came alive. And, you know, Thomas is like, come on. Uh, A week is a long time. And I think some of us, we hear of people's experiences with God, and we want that. And I believe that God wants that for us too. I believe that God wants to transform us. But there's some things that we can control and some things we can't. And what I find interesting about Thomas is that in his doubts, in his frustration, in his why them and not me, what does he do? He remains in community. When Jesus shows up eight days later, where is he? He's with his brothers and sisters. Can you imagine how hard it would would be to remain with your brothers and sisters when you feel like you're the outside one, when you don't quite fit in? But Thomas remained, we could call it synagogue. Thomas remained in community, in synagogue, with his community in the meantime while he's waiting for God to show up. And we we live in a world right now, in in the church world, where there's a lot of talk about deconstruction, uh, which is just a really uh, long term that that talks about, that's basically people deconstructing their faith, walking away from faith because of challenges, because of doubts, because of the difficulty to believe. Um, When Jesus says stop doubting and believe, we as Western people often read that as um, stop questioning and just believe these facts. Just believe the right doctrines. This is not what Jesus is referring to. Um, and I've, I've spoken about this many times, but the, the word believe in the original language, in the Greek language, which this was written in, 
is not the word belief as we often think about it. It's not talking about intellectual, intellectualism. It's not talking about doctrine. Uh, the word belief is pistis, or pistuo, the verb form of faith. Pistis is faith. More properly understood, it's trust. And so what Jesus is saying to Thomas is not stop questioning, stop longing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying stop not trusting. That's what, that's what doubt is being compared to. Stop not trusting and put your trust into me. Faith is not marked by reasoning, but by trust. This does not mean that faith is unreasonable, but it just means that there's a certain limit to reason. We have misunderstood faith as a what word when actually faith is a who word. Faith is about a person. Faith is about Jesus. Faith is about trusting somebody. It's not about the what, it's about the who. And if you go back to the very beginning of your scriptures, and you look at the story of Adam and Eve, we see that Adam and Eve stopped trusting God and they were tempted by knowledge. When knowing is elevated above trusting, we have the Adam and Eve story all over again. We live in a world that elevates knowing above trusting and that doesn't mean there isn't anything to know, but it means there's a limit to our human knowledge and there's a God who is beyond that. And this God who shows up in the person of Jesus invites us to move from doubt to trust. To move from doubt to trust. Doubt is not an enemy of faith. It's only an enemy of faith if we equate faith with certitude. Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher, a Christian philosopher, said, seek to imitate Christ and you will not doubt the resurrection. Seek to imitate Christ, and you will not doubt the resurrection. He went on to say, the highest of all is not to understand the highest, but to act upon it. And so we come back to this theme again of the importance of obedience. That when you're, when you're doubting, Jesus actually invites us to obedience. It's not inauthentic, but it's trusting God with wherever we're at. And I, and I think after Easter weekend, we come face to face with many people's doubts, many people's struggles on, is this believable? Well, how do we mean that? Because did you know that Christianity is anchored and founded on two unprovable facts, the incarnation and the resurrection? They're not provable. They can be probable, they can be reasonable, but they're not provable. And so to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, is actually the choice to trust Jesus beyond what is provable. To trust Jesus in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our struggles. When Thomas had this encounter with Jesus, he says, my Lord, my God, then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me and have believed, have pistooed, trusted Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have trusted. I believe that we need encounters with the living God. I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. Um, I also believe that that is the one thing in the pattern that we see in the Gospels that we cannot control. Uh, and I would encourage you that the, two, that the three out of those two things that we see over and over in the Gospels and Acts, out of synagogue, encounter, and obedience, there's two of those that you can control. 
We can choose to remain in community. We can choose to synagogue. We can choose to gather. We can choose to worship together. We can choose to walk in obedience in light of what we know, what God has already revealed to us, to trust God in our obedience. And as we synagogue, as we obey, we actually create the time and space for the Holy Spirit to meet us and encounter us. And it might not be tomorrow. It might be next week. And it might not be next week, and it might be next year. But we choose, like Thomas, to remain in community, to remain faithful, and trust God and his timing to give us the experiences and encounters that we need. I'm so encouraged by the Father in Mark 9, 24, one of my favorite uh, verses, uh, where this Father instantly cries out to Jesus, who's begging, he's begging Jesus for a miracle for his child, and he says, Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus, I trust you, but help me in the places where I don't quite trust you. And in Christian faith, we don't confess what we believe. We believe what we confess. And we will always be, there will always be more that we confess than we can prove. There will always be more than, that we profess than we understand. But we trust Jesus. Uh, and so my short encouragement to SunWest this morning as we look forward, is to control the things that you can control. Stay in community. We are living in a time where people are, think that community is optional. When we get baptized, we choose to follow Jesus. We actually choose a long, uh, we choose his family. We choose his body, uh, which is what the scriptures refer to as the community of Christ, the body of Christ. And so we can choose, we can control that to stay faithful to a community of people, to a family of people, to a group, a small group of people, to a gathering of people. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, as it says in Hebrews. I encourage you to control the other piece of control, obedience. Live in obedience to the things that God has already showed you and revealed to you, the way that he's already called you. Despite your doubts, despite your frustrations, I encourage you to be faithful to Christ. And then as we do that, we create time and space to encounter God. And I believe that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Movements of God, where God encounters his people, are always preceded by movements of prayer. At SunWest, we talk about prayer a lot. But to be honest, we engage in prayer very, very little. This is concerning to me. Prayer is not an idea of something that's nice to do. Prayer is actually something... Uh, that our whole faith is predicated on, a connection with the living God. And yet how often do we think that prayer is this optional piece of our faith when it's actually the core piece of our faith? And we have prayer ministries that are regularly happening as a church, but we don't engage in them regularly. We have prayer teams that are available at the end of every Sunday morning, um, and very few of us engage uh, in prayer and being vulnerable enough to receive prayer or being courageous enough into offering prayer for others. So we can control these things. Those are issues of obedience. And then how God meets us as we do that, as we're faithful to him, that's up to God. But we can control what we can control. And I want to kind of implore us as a community to create time and space, to be obedient, to actually step forward in prayer, believing that prayer 
actually will precede encounters with God and movements of God as it has done throughout all of history. Jesus showed up in Pentecost when his Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 at a prayer meeting. And we can assume that those disciples were praying for quite a while before the Holy Spirit showed up in that way. Can we remain faithful in our waiting? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us. We thank you for the resurrection which we celebrated last weekend. Lord, we thank you that the resurrection is more than we can prove. Because at the end of the day, Lord, you invite us not into an intellectual set of beliefs, but into a living life relationship with the living God. Lord, we know that synagogue and community is important. Lord, we know that obedience is important because those are the pieces you've called us to. We know that we have a part to play. But Lord, like Thomas, we also recognize that we have these needs for you to show up, for you to speak to our questions and our doubts. Lord, I thank you that you are aware of these needs. And so God, we lay our doubts before you. We lay our questions before you, Lord. We lay our pains, our hurts, our disappointments before you. We choose to wait in community. We choose to walk in faithfulness even when we don't always understand where you are or what's happening. And Lord, we invite you. We invite your spirit to encounter us where we are in the midst of those doubts and questions and hurts and disappointments. Lord, I thank you for the people like Thomas. We thank you for the people like the Father. These people that we can see ourselves as if in a mirror. See our own, uh, our own twin in the mirror. And we thank you for your grace, Lord. So, Lord, we look forward to this next season as a church, as a community. And we, uh, we want to create the time and the space